Chemical Watch podcast. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. Hello and welcome to this special one-off Chemical Watch podcast on the subject of substance identity issues raised as part of the forthcoming revision of REACH. I'm Andrew Turley, Science Editor at Chemical Watch, and I'm joined today by three guests. They are Angelina Gadderman and Christoph Sobert, both from the German Federal Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, or Bauer, which is a competent authority for REACH and Bernadette Quinn from Consultancy Reach Law. Thank you for joining me. The idea for this podcast came from a discussion that Bernadette and I had a few months ago regarding the substance definition used in Reach and other chemicals legislation. I'd just written a a Chemical Watch article, a comment article about the ongoing titanium dioxide saga um, and how I think it it clearly shows there's a, a big problem with the substance definition as it is. Bernadette got in touch to highlight a paper she'd written for the journal uh, Nature Nanotechnology on the misuse of the term. While we were thinking about how we might expand on those articles, Bauer started a a conversation with other member state competent authorities and the European Commission about a range of substance identity issues. And part of their solution uh, is a change to the substance definition. So altogether, it felt like uh, a really good time to get this group together to discuss the issues in more detail. The broader context, of course, is the REACH revision, which at uh, the time of this recording has been delayed a year to uh, Q4 2023 at the earliest. If the changes we're about to discuss are to make it into REACH, this is the uh, window of opportunity Um, To do so, they'll uh, have to compete for attention with a lot of other measures that are already on the agenda um, through the Chemicals for Sustainability strategy. Um, And some of those are very big measures on uh, polymers registration, um, the one substance, one assessment concept, um, and generic risk management and and others like that. That said, uh, substance identity is absolutely clearly foundational in in chemicals legislation you can uh, you you can't regulate a substance if you can't um say what it is um and substance identity issues have generated a huge amount of discussion uh, when reach was being um developed over a decade ago and have continued uh to cause problems for for industry and regulators since then um uvcbs which make up a, a very large a proportion of registrations um, a one area where such issues are, are hugely challenging. So it does make some sense that the regulatory community would return to these issues in the context of the chemical strategy, which is um, easily the biggest development in EU chemicals legislation since REACH came into force. So that's some background uh, from me to get us started. I'll now bring in uh, Christoph Sobert from Bauer to talk about the issue in more detail. Hi, Christoph. Hey, hi. Uh, If I may, um, I'll start by asking what exactly is the problem you've identified with the REACH regulation um, under the current uh, substance definition? Yeah, first of all, um, thanks for providing the platform to discuss about this 
this rather complicated topic um, that we indeed raised on different meetings with the Commission and with ECHR and different member states. And um, to bring one issue first is that if we speak about substance, we sometimes mean different things. And to explain this, um, I will start at the very beginning, the, the substance definition in REACH. And in short, the substance in REACH is defined as what is obtained by a manufacturing process. So this includes, for example, impurities or stabilizers as well. And consequently, when in the REACH regulation, the term substance is used, it basically always means a combination of multiple discrete chemical structures um, like constituents or impurities because in reality almost in all chemical reactions we will have impurities uh, like unreacted starting material or side products and the reason for the definition that we have in reach right now is that manufacturers have a practical and importantly also um, practicable way to register a substance the definition that we have acknowledges that in reality a chemical reaction never leads to a 100% pure chemical. So um, if we speak of substance, it has multiple constituents and we have an ECHA guidance to allocate a regulatory name to a substance. And the, the guidance knows three different types of substances, a monoconstituent substance, a multi-constituent substance, and a so-called UEZB. And this is a substance of unknown or variable or complex composition or of biological origin. All have their naming rules, but I will um, stick to the most simple example of the monoconstituent substance. Although it's mono, uh, called monoconstituent, does not comprise of just one single constituent, but of one main constituent, which is present in a substance of at least 80%, according to the rules. But this also means that we have 20% or less of impurities. And the regulatory name that we give this substance refers to the main constituent. Because it is assumed that the properties derive um, from the main constituent. So REACH now uses this regulatory name for regulation for, for example, identification as a substance of very high concern, SVHC, or for authorization, and in CLP, also for harmonized classification. And here's the problem. So I explained in registration, it is clear that the substance, like the definition, comprises of multiple constituents, um, like the impurities and the main constituent. But on the regulatory list, it refers often to this 100% pure discrete chemical structure. And again, I, I refer to this simple case of a monoconstituent substance. But um, REACH so far does not, know, does not know an own definition of a discrete chemical structure that I will call here um, constituent um, to distinguish it from the substance, from the term substance. And um, we, yeah, would like to introduce such such a term. So the problem is that REACH lacks such definition right now. And maybe um, you're now aware that we sometimes speak of 
or we have uh, different meanings if we speak of substance um, in the registration area we need multiple constituents sometimes we just mean this 100 pure thing and these are the main issues that we want to raise and, and, and challenge and hopefully clarify in the reach revision okay thanks uh christoph it sounds like um i mean reach contains a lot of uh, simplifications, necessary sort of simplifications. And it sounds like, you know, moving from a, a real substance in the real world, and that's what gets registered to um, lists um, of things that are regulated. That sounds like a, a, a re, you know, on first inspection, a, a reasonable simplification. Um, but you're suggesting it may not be. Are we sure this is a um, a real problem rather than a, a purely... A theoretical one and, and and can you talk us through an example yeah um so there are some issues that we um summarized in in a publication from our german help desk that i'm part of here in in bauer and this publication is called reflections on the definition of the term substance in the european law of substances and which is also available in english on our homepage, and you can download it for free um, but to go to a concrete example, let's take um, the authorization process. Um, the regulation or the authorization depends on the regulatory name that you give a substance. So if the regulatory name is on the Annex 14, that's the list of the, author, uh, of the substances that require authorization, if the regulatory name is on the list, then the authorization applies, in short. Um, but in the example of the main constituent, um, of the, sorry, of the monoconstituent substance, the name refers only to the main constituent. So what is the case um, if we have a constituent, like an impurity, um, which as a regulatory name is on an X14, but the substance now is not called like this this impurity because it's called like the main uh, constituent. Um, does this substance now require authorization because a hazardous NX14, um, now saying substance seems wrong, but it's problem with the terminology, because an NX14 constituent is in the substance. And the answer is that we do not have authorization there, although, although we, we have it present in the substance. And um, this is how uh, the regulation works it now, that we don't need an authorization in this case. And ECHR and Commission shares their view on that. And um, this is, for us, a, a problem where we cannot regulate um, this impurity in this case. And, if we jump to a broader uh, scope, you also mentioned um, the Commission's aim for one substance, one assessment. And we also want to raise awareness that the term substance in this one substance, one assessment should be discussed and understood identically um, by all actors in the same way. Okay. Well, we're already hitting problems with terminology, aren't we? Because there's a few different words pinging around and uh, it always amuses me that the one that doesn't come up is chemical <laughs> uh, given that it's in 
the title of the legislation and it's certainly the word that's most familiar to the public um, but for whatever reason the word we use is is substance um, if I understand from what you said correctly in the authorization case you could have up to 20 percent um, uh, by concentration of this substance of a authorization list substance so a chemical nasty let's call that um, but it wouldn't be triggering a need for an application for authorization if uh, that is uh, not what's named on the registration dossier, which if it's less than 20%, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be. Is that right? Indeed. You, you understood yeah. correctly, yeah. Yeah. So you could be dealing with quite a lot of a chemical nasty. I mean, that's a fifth, isn't it? It's quite a lot. Um, and it's, it's being missed. Okay. So, and, and authorization is just one example, isn't it? There's, there's other examples. That's the key point here because the, <clears throat> because this substance idea is so, um, foundational. Okay. And you've touched on it already, but the solution you've proposed is, is some new terms in the definition, but, but other measures as well. So could you elaborate on those a bit? Yeah. Um, so to, to summarize probably our solution or what we suggest is, um, to keep um, the substance definition as we have right now for the registration, but then to complement the substance definition by a new term, let's call it now constituent, or we can call it chemical. I basically don't care how we call it. And, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it's important for us that we introduce it. Um, and this, this new term, I now call it constituent, um, refers to this 100% pure chemical structure. Um, we have a, a different term for it in this publication I refer to, but uh, the thing is that this constituent is the smallest unit. It's 100% pure, you can't subdivide it. So if we use this constituent for, reg um, for regulation, we could close some regulatory gaps, as I explained with this example, with the authorization. So we would like to use or to introduce the opportunity to use um, a, a constituent now. So we can also regulate its presence as an impurity in another substance. So the substance has a different regulatory name, but 20% impurity, this constituent then would for example, um, uh, uh, make uh, authorizations, obligations. Um, and yeah, uh, by this, we could uh, close some regulatory gaps. Um, but uh, thinking of it, uh, this concept is not completely new. It's it is not consistently used. So for example, if you look at some restrictions and there's restrictions are summarized in Annex 17 of the REACH regulation. And for example, in numbers 28 to 30, and these comprises some um, substances or many substances uh, which are CMR, um, have CMR properties. And it's called these substances shall not be placed on the market or used as substances or as constituents of other substances. So this concept is used sometimes and for authorization, we, we don't have it at all. And we, with the uh, introduction of this new term or this new definition, um, would like to consistently use it or consistently 
enable us to use it and uh, have an, a legal basis for it. Okay. So it sounds like it's something that um, regulators and policymakers maybe already have some terminology that they're using very informally uh, to be able to just get through conversations about um, about what's happening. And, and it's a process of formalizing those sort of informal terms. It doesn't matter which what you call it. Some of this you suggested in some places ideal substance, I think, or real substance. You're not too bothered about what what the actual term is, but okay. The substance definition is um, absolutely fundamental to reach and other chemicals legislation. That's important to say. It's it's in CLP and and others. Um, you might expect that changing it, even in a relatively small way, uh, would have very significant implications, particularly for registrants. Uh, what would you say to registrants listening to this who might be worrying about having to completely overhaul um, their dossiers? Um, I would tell them not to worry um, because they don't need to completely overhaul their registrations because we want to leave the um, registration concept as it is with the substance definition that we have right now. And as as I said, I want to introduce a complemented term which will more or less uh, rather impact the regulation not the registration and for us it also then increases clarity because we have different terms officially than introduced terms um, that we can use and refer to different things that we already use uh, or that we that we speak of by just having now one definition um, which uh, makes this whole thing very complicated. Um, but um, apart from our substance um, or a suggestion to introduce this complemented term, um, we also um, have a, a second uh, suggestions that we introduce to different meetings um, with ECHR and um, uh, the commission, the CARACAL meeting, that's the competent authorities who reach a CLP meeting. And um, this is um, the clarification of the composition um, according to Annex 6 of the REACH regulation. So we are convinced that a thorough and sound clarification of the substance composition is of utmost importance and essential for sustainable regulation of chemicals. and. Um, with better clarification of the uh, with a better cl clarification of the composition, we mean all constituents up to 0.1%, which sounds quite high. But um, we derive this value or this threshold from a threshold for, for example, um, generic concentration thresholds for CMR properties or PBT properties, and then these compositions of one substance and we know a substance consists of multiple constituents and for example we might have different impurity profiles these should be combined in this substance identity profile and the substance identity profile is now introduced already in annex 6 which is kind of a frame of the whole composition of all registrants impurity profiles and all registrants substance specifications so to speak but this uh, suggestion for a better clarification is independent of um, 
our suggestion to to um, introduce the new term we just think they complement each other very well yeah okay so regarding the the substance definition it sounds it, it sounds like your intention is to almost ring fence the registration side of it and leave that untouched and it's everything that happens after registration that where there's a potential for um some limited changes on account of 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 these terms but um registrants may be impacted by this complementary additional um part of your proposal which refers to um uh requiring um compositional information for constituents up to 0.1 percent is that a fair summary yeah yes okay i would agree okay so and what sort of response have you had from stakeholders such as the the commission what have they said so far so we use the platforms to to raise awareness and um to introduce the let's call it regulatory gaps, the problems that we identified and what we already uh, also summarized in, in our publication. And Commission and ECHA are aware of um, these problems and are still considering our suggestions. And yeah, we don't know much more yet. And we hope to clarify these issues within the REACH review. Okay. All right, thanks, Christoph. Um, now let's talk about uh, a connection with nanomaterials, um, which are famously very complicated uh, from a regulatory point of view. Um, REACH registration has always applied to uh, substances in nano form. Now I've used that deliberately because of our, us being careful about terminology, uh, but nano form is the, is the key um, word to, to focus on. Unfortunately, in the years following the, the, the registration deadlines in 2010, 2013, and 2018, ECHA and others identified a lot of problems with submitted information. Um, some very famous cases, uh, which we won't go into here. After a lot of uh, debate, uh, the Commission made changes to the REACH annexes aimed at clarifying the obligations on registrants dealing with nanoforms. Those changes have now been in effect for two years. So start of 20, 2020, I think, is when they came in. Uh, but according to ECHA, <clears throat> they've not been wholly successful. So I think they've only had about 150, 160-ish um, dossiers that have been updated with nanoform information. And, and they were expecting a lot more than that. So, um, yeah, so the changes have... have the quantity of information has been much lower than expected. That's some background from me. I now have uh, bringing in Angelina Gadaman, who also works at Bauer and has been looking at nanomaterials registrations in detail. Hi, Angelina. Hi, Andrew. Hi. Uh, what's your impression of the data that's been submitted in, in the two years? Um, um, first of all, I would also like to thank you for organizing this podcast and for having this discussion. And um, yeah, before I will answer your question in detail, um, I would like to mention some um, general observations I made. Uh, first of all, um, even though, as you said, the specific requirements for nano uh, uh, forms of a substance are almost into force since three years, so it started in January 2020, and um, 
yeah, but I have to admit that still not all registrants took notice of these newly introduced nanospecific information requirements. And of course, consequently, they did not realize that they have to take any action. And um, yeah, this might be due to the fact that they simply never asked themselves um, if they're the substance they manufacture or import um, fulfills the definition of a nanoform as this question was never relevant for them. And yeah, next to this, especially in 2020, many um, registrants weren't so sure if there is a legal obligation to, to update the dossier at all. Um, simply, um, by introducing new nanospecific um, requirements into the annex of uh, REACH regulation, um, it was not clear whether this triggers also the duty to update the registration dossier. And um, yeah, still today, uh, even though if registrants are willing to fulfill the information requirements, they still do not know fully which information and which detail need to be provided. And just one word about the newly introduced concept of sets of similar nanoforms. Um, there are many question marks um, how to apply this concept. And this is not only question marks from industry side, but also from our so MSCA or help desk side. But um, you asked about um, the data which is submitted. So if there is any at all, um, you can see um, that many companies really tried their best to provide as much information as possible. And this information really helped us to better understand what is covered by a registration, so what is manufactured or imported. However, of course, there are other cases and here is still a lot of room for improvement. Um, yeah, it seems to me as some companies um, try to take advantage um, of maybe not so clearly defined or not clearly enough formulated legal requirements. And these companies just provide as little information as possible. So in these cases, we still do not know which nanoforms are covered by registrations or how many. And maybe one last point I would like to mention here is um, just to clarify, not every single nanoform which is produced also need to be registered, even though it is produced in quite high quantities. And this is due to the fact that it is produced um, as a downstream use. Okay, thanks, Angelina. Um, now, because I, I know this because we've we've discussed this before, but as I understand it, a company, um, if the, the problem you're alluding to at the end there, downstream users not having to provide information is because um, if they're transforming one material to another chemically, i.e. the cast number is changing or some other, you know, unambiguous identifier is changing, that company absolutely would need to have a separate registration dossier. Um, but in the case of, 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 um, solids, they may be um, um, uh, doing some kind of physical transformation, meaning the cast number hasn't changed. The common name is the same. Um, I'm, it might be some kind of 
mechanical cutting or grinding to turn a solid into um, particles from a massive form. And in this scenario, the company remains a downstream user and has no obligation to provide information. Now, is that, have I understood that all correctly? Mm, basically, yes, um, if you have the registration um, in mind. And um, yeah, this is simply due to the fact that a substance can only be manufactured once. Um, and changing the form of a substance, of a solid substance, um, is no manufacture. And um, yeah, a substance cannot be manufactured from an identical substance. So um, here we do not have a, the obligation to register this new form within a new separate um, registration. Okay. Uh, forgive, uh, if, if, forgive me if this is a naive question uh, because the details of registration are quite complicated, but um, registrants are motivated, aren't they, in some way to cover the uses of their downstream uh, users. Um, so if they're selling to people, then it seems to me that they would want their those uses covered so that everybody downstream of them is in compliance. But um, doesn't that mean that we should assume that those downstream activities are covered by the dossiers? Mm, yeah, so the general downstream user obligations also apply um, to substances in nanoform, of course. So this means that the downstream user producing a nanoform um, needs to check whether this use is covered by the registration. And um, if, for example, by checking the, um, the extended um, safety data sheet, and in case this use is not covered, he can communicate this use up the supply chain and um, then this use can be picked up in the in the registration. However, um, the registrant does not necessarily need to do so. So he does not need to take up this use. Um, and on the other hand, he, he even can um, give advice against this use. So in this case, um, the downstream user producing a nanoform needs to check if he maybe has to prepare his own chemical safety report. However, this chemical safety report um, will not be shared with or supplied to anyone. So this information is not available except for the downstream user itself. Um, yeah, so this is the situation. And um, however, even if there is a communication within the supply chain that does not or mean that the information you have on this downstream use or the, the, the uh, nanoform produced in a downstream use is comparable to the amount of information which needs to be provided within a registration dossier. So here we have um, two different situations. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so there's a problem. What, what should the commission do about it? Well, um, yeah, the Commission should take up this nanospecific issues within the re revision process. And to push our ideas forward, um, we submitted the position of the German federal government on how and where adaptations uh, in the legal text of REACH um, are needed to Caracal, which is the competent authority 
uh, risk assessment, classification and labeling group. And um, so the mentioned issue um, of the downstream user and um, the, the registrant is only one point which was raised um, in this paper. And here it is especially the point of the unequal treatment um, between these um, different actors. And a second point which is part of this paper is um, the proposal to introduce the term of form. Um, and this is simply to clearly acknowledge the fact that solid substances can have different forms and these different forms might have an impact on the assessment. Um, and maybe to mention um, one last point, which is covered in this position, German position paper, um, is the introduction of uh, definition of the term producer of a nanoform of a substance. And um, this is necessary to yeah, highlight that, so, uh, for example, grinding is no manufacturer and that in this case, no registration obligations um, apply. Okay. Um, so the connection, again, we've got Article 3 of REACH and, and uh, definitions, it's about um, fixing the terminologies and fixing the definitions so we've got um, a common understanding of what all these words mean formally as well as informally um, and, and legally binding as well to try and create that legal certainty. Okay, thanks Angelina. I should say we did invite the Commission to take part in this um, <laughs> discussion since we keep talking about what the Commission should or shouldn't do. They declined uh, so um, we've gone ahead without them. My final guest is Bernadette Quinn from Consultancy Reach Law. She has written for Chemical Watch on the subject of substance identity and has a long-standing interest in the issue of nanomaterials registration. Hi, Bernadette. What's your take on the problems and solutions raised by Bauer? Okay, so hi again, and thanks for the opportunity to come and join you today and discuss these really interesting topics. So I think Bauer has raised some really good points. There is really a lot of uncertainty on how the implementation of the revised REACH annexes for nanomaterials should work in practice. So specifically what needs to be reported and by whom. Separately, Bauer have also voiced their concerns on the adequacy of the substance definition. So in particular for regulatory risk management of complex chemicals and have proposed that the definition needs to be adapted. So these are really, I found these really interesting and they've made me, the reports, they've made me reflect on my own understanding. And today I'll share some of my reflections with you. So first of all, I can say that we probably don't uh, share the same starting point in terms of determining or assessing perhaps regulatory obligations. But this is maybe more related to our use of substance terminology. So for me, the starting point is always chemicals, as these are real. They are manufactured, imported, used, tested. And I think from reading the reports that Bauer's starting point may be substances, but again, this may be related to the terminology issue. So my observation primarily is that how we're using this term substance, it's how we're using this term substance that's creating the uncertainty. It's now used ubiquitously as a proxy to refer to very different things. So for example, actual chemicals, regulatory data sets like registration files, test materials, and entries on regulatory list, lists. So we seem to have lost the link with actual chemicals bought and sold and used across the EU. 
And also, I have to say, many, my observation from working for many years on the implementation of regulatory processes and the revision of the annexes for nanomaterials was that there is often no common understanding of this term substance between all the different parties that are needed for the implementation of the regulation, like chemists and lawyers and policymakers, IT specialists, toxicologists, and they all bring their own understanding of this term. And this understanding is often silently divergent. So if we're all using the same term, we're not aware that our understandings are often quite, quite different. And my view also is that this one substance soundbite in particular has added to this confusion as there is no common understanding that there is not actually one substance. So under each, a given legal entity will have multiple actual industrial chemicals that each fulfill the substance definition and each will have registration obligations. All these chemicals may be registered under one registration, provided the legal entity assigns a common substance identifier to them. So this means there is always more than one chemical as more than one, uh, all, there is always more than one substance as more than one chemical is registered. So industrial chemicals manufactured or imported by the same or different legal entities are assigned a substance identifier and registered in one registration. And how similar or different these chemicals are will completely depend on the nomenclature rules to assign the name or substance identity. So this understanding is somehow has been lost over the years of implementation. So if we look a little bit, where did this one substance sound like come from? And it is really quite ubiquitous to say one substance. So in my opinion, it probably comes from the, substance, the concept of substance sameness that underpins the joint registration obligations under each. So this has led to the misperception that there is literally one substance and that all chemicals registered under one registration are the same. And the use of one substance is also probably means that there are many who incorrectly assumed, assume that there is in fact one chemical and the it singular has a variable composition, meaning that constituents and their ranges vary from production lot to production lot. But of course, this is not the case, but it is really challenging to explain this in particular to those with a non-chemistry background, all these other parties that are necessary for the implementation of regulation. As we have dropped both the term chemical and substance identity almost entirely from our REACH vocabulary. So my understanding would be that REACH is intended to regulate actual chemicals that fulfill the substance definition. It's not intended to regulate substances, although we do talk a lot about substances. And the term substance is just simply a regulatory construct created to define which chemicals are actually within the scope of the regulation. So if I think about nanomaterials, so my, understand, my understanding is that nanomaterials are also simply chemicals that fulfill both the substance definition and the EU definition for nanomaterial. They are chemicals first and foremost. They're not forms of a substance, singular, as of course there is no parent or master substance they could be forms of. So this forms of a substance terminology for me is a consequence of the one substance soundbite and the misunderstanding that saying substances, that saying if substances are not the same, this would trigger separate registration obligations. And I have to say the form of a substance terminology is perhaps quite confusing as it renders substance abstract. So very far from actual chemicals. So earlier I mentioned nomenclature. Nobody speaks about nomenclature. Nomenclature is quite boring and substance identity. So one key source of misunderstanding in terms of practical implementation is that nowadays substance is used as shorthand to refer to both the actual chemical and the name we give to the chemical for regulatory processing. And this makes it quite confusing. So 
What is the actual link between chemical, substance, and substance identity? Well, a chemical, a chemical that fulfills the definition of substance must be assigned a regulatory substance identifier. So that's just simply the name to be processed in a regulatory context. So regulations like REACH or BPR, the Biocidal Products Regulation, they apply to actual chemicals that fulfill the substance definition. Their implementation and practice relies on the nomenclature that we use to give these chemicals name, these chemical names, so regulatory identifiers. And while it may seem really obvious that this nomenclature or the rules we use to assign these regulatory identifiers to these chemicals is really important, I have to say there's very little awareness of this so far. For example, substances are not added to regulatory lists. Regulatory identifiers are, and a regulatory identifier can cover quite a few, quite a limited number of chemicals or very many chemicals, depending on the nomenclature rules used to assign the name. The name assigned gives the boundaries for the chemicals that will be covered by it. So very simple substances, are, yes, I use the word substance. So uh, very simple identifiers like acetone. Uh, this will cover chemicals that have acetone as their main constituent, following the nomenclature rules given in the guidance. And a very broad name like carbon nanotubes will cover all carbons that have this tubular carbon structure. So the name defines the scope. So in practice, in terms of reach registration, this one substance soundbite gives this false sense of simplicity. So, but the reality is really far from simple. Joint regi joints registration or joint submission brings enormous complexity as very different chemicals can and are registered under one substance identity. It doesn't mean these chemicals are literally the same. They are not one substance. It just simply means they've been assigned one, one common substance identity. So I would say we probably need to give more thought to the regulatory identifiers used for registrations. If I was to summarize, I'd probably say my understanding is that the substance definition is okay. It's rather that our use of the term substance to refer to very different things that is creating confusion and uncertainty in actual implementation. And since we're using the same term for substance, the same term substance for both the chemical and the name applied to the chemical, the name assigned to the chemical, we're really all struggling to have a common understanding. So also if we look across regulations, we can also see that this one substance, one assessment proposal from the commission will likely propagate confusion. As again, we have this one substance soundbite giving this false sense of simplicity. Okay, thanks. Bernadette. Um, I think the last point about the one substance, one assessment um, concept, which is obviously coming down the line, is very pertinent because it gives this whole discussion a, a lot of urgency. Any problems that we're seeing now are likely to be magnified, aren't they, um, once we start trying to um, uh, use the same assessments for, for multiple pieces of legislation. One thing I um, uh, I was a bit a bit confused about, and I am going to go back to Christoph and Angelina in just a moment, but I'm going to use my moderator's prerogative to to ask you about you. You actually mentioned carbon nanotubes, and that's actually an interesting one because I do know there's multiple registrations for carbon nanotubes. There's a registration that covers multi-walled carbon nanotubes, and there's one for single wall carbon nanotubes and that's obviously a decision by the registrants to divide up to, to to that's a strategy it's a registration strategy that seems to me so 
I feel that what Bauer's getting at is about actually, and, and, and they're able to do that because there's a lot of latitude in how you, you, you have a lot of room to interpret things as you wish when you're setting up your registration um, as things are currently set up. So it seems to me that the Bauer proposal is actually about removing some of that that latitude and, and making it, you, you know, so more defined in terms of um, what uh, the registrant is allowed to do. Is that, is it so, so potentially we're talking about, you're talking about slightly different things. Is that fair? Well, not necessarily, because I think, for example, carbon nanotubes, I mean, there is no master carbon nanotube that all carbon nanotubes should be registered under. There are simply chemicals that have a tubular structure and how the registrants or the, the manufacturers or the importers decide to identify them for registration will depend on the substance identity they assign. So if there was a registration for carbon nanotubes, then in principle, it would cover all possible carbon nanotubes. Manufacturers of single-walled carbon nanotubes can decide that they are better served, that they are that their, their, their specific carbon nanotubes uh, merit separate registration, and that they, they, they do not have as many properties in common as uh, multi-wall carbon nanotubes, for example. So it, the registration strategy will depend very much on, how do you say, the substance identity they assign for registration. Okay. I, I, I'm beyond my area of, of expertise. So, And I can see Angelina's um, nodding. So let's go to Angelina and see what she thinks about, about some of those points. Yeah, I agree. Um, um... It's of very. It's very important how you what the name of of your chemical is. So if you just say uh, carbon nanotubes, uh, indeed uh, that would cover all forms of a single wall, multi ward, um, thick, thin, long, short, whatever um, tubes. Um, and um, it's yeah, basically now up to the registrants how they call their substance, and. Um, um, yeah, so as what we know is that single-walled um, carbon nanotubes are um, registered and um, multi-walled carbon nanotubes are um, registered as well, but in a different joint um, registration. And even there, we have two separate joint submissions as uh, the registrants were of the opinion that these multi-walled carbon nanotubes are so different from each other that um, they cannot share any data. So it's a really complicated situation. Okay. Christoph, do you have anything you want to come back on? Um, I, I really liked um, the phrase, um, the name defines the scope. And we have easy examples and we have absolutely complicated examples. And um, what we suggested to introduce the the term of this constituent, which is the smallest unit that we have, um, we could we could use it to solve some of these issues. But for me, um, the main takeaway for today um, is that this terminology is is really diff difficult. Um, that we have different understandings. Um, we or I spoke about this constituent as a new term. Bernadette said chemical and um, yeah, we, we should, um, or we need, or we, it's required to have more discussions on this terminology, especially also um, 
if we go for this one substance, one assessment um, aim and um, yeah, um, trying to figure out what we mean that all stakeholders mean the same thing if they use one term is <laughs> sadly quite necessary and there's there's a bit to do. Okay, that seems like a, a good point to end on. Um, there's lots to do. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so we could probably talk about this for a lot longer, but um, unfortunately we do need to, to come to an end at some point. Um, thank you again to my guests, Angelina Gadaman, Christoph Sobert and Bernadette Quinn. Uh, and thank you uh, to you, our listeners, for tuning in. I hope that you will join us again uh, for the next Chemical Watch podcast. Goodbye. The Chemical Watch podcast. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety.